0: Hey, folks, and welcome. My name is Damon, and this is Theater Tales of the Techie. And I want to start off by apologizing about the acoustics in this room. I've moved my entire office upstairs to another room from the basement. And actually, my basement, I'd worked a long time to get the acoustics very good in that room. In this room, I've missed the mark so far, folks. So I want to apologize on this sounding like I'm talking to you from a barn. Uh, But with that said, I got a really, really cool email. Oh, first of all, if you're new to my channel, welcome, and if you want to know why I'm doing this, it's because originally I talked to a young man who was kind of, um, uh, he didn't really know if he was going to go into the theater industry as a career, and I explained to him there are incredible amount of different uh, uh, opportunities in this industry. You know, a lot of people think of a lighting designer, or a set designer, or a stage manager. Uh, but outside of the theater, there is sales, there's management, there's design, being a theater consultant. And <clears throat> what I want to do tonight, folks, is share with you kind of um well, I'm not going to share you the whole email. So I get this email from a young man who is actually a freshman at a college. And he said he'd listen to my podcast. And he said he thinks my podcast about when I work for a dealer are some of the best Content. <clears throat> Excuse me, folks. Oh, and just so you know, the reason my throat sounds like this is it's really early in the morning. I'm not up and up to speed yet. It's five thirty a.m. on October twenty third, which is a Monday. This is going to be a really busy week for me. I got a lot of really exciting things going on. I wanted to get a podcast done because, folks, I've just been so busy, and I'm working on a super top secret project in my life right now, which is really exciting and I'm just really busy. So, I get this email from this freshman, and he says, I love your podcast about dealers. Could you do a podcast on these four subjects? One was on a rigging inspection. One was on a dimming inspection. What is the craziest thing I've ever seen in a theater, and what is the most dangerous thing I've ever seen in a theater? And, um, folks, I'm going to start with the most dangerous thing first, because, to everybody around, nobody saw danger. But when I saw it, I was like, holy crap, Batman. This is insane. And and folks, I'm not putting people down. Okay, I'm not calling people stupid. I'm not saying that they're idiots. It's just what you don't know, you don't know. And if you have followed me, you know I love to dive into everything engineering. I think one of the reasons I've become such a good designer in my life is because I'm obsessed with like the Apollo program. I'm obsessed with how telescopes work. I'm obsessed with how the motor drives on telescopes work. I mean, do you realize that if you do a really, really long exposure on a telescope doing like astrophotography, um, that just the gears turning in that gearbox will cause little bitty jumps in your exposure And, uh, I mean, folks, I just love everything about design. And because of that, I noticed things. And, you know, if you think about the Apollo fire, um, if you're a young kid, you've probably never heard of this, but when we were going to go to the moon on Apollo one, there was a fire in the, uh, capsule and it killed Gus Grissom, uh, Chaffee and white, uh, Roger Chaffee and Ed white. And, the reason it happened was the lack of imagination. Nobody had ever imagined that you could have a fire in that in that capsule so nobody had ever deemed it as a hazardous test so I'm not calling people stupid I'm not like I know people work hard in life to do really neat things but what I'm going to tell you folks literally just freaked me out so i and I might have mentioned this in other podcast folks I've gotten so deep into these podcasts I can't remember. Um, some of the subjects I've completely dove into because I, you know, folks, I have a 110 pound Bernice mountain dog that when he sees a ground squirrel outside his whole life instantly, it's like, he's on meth or crack or LSD. He loses his freaking mind and folks, why I don't do drugs. It's hard for me to stay focused sometimes, um, but this theater had called me up actually to go out and look at some issues they were having with the lighting system. And I walked in and I saw a big, beautiful set. And that's kind of, and folks, if you listen to my podcast, you know, I was on a, a stage one time that had a fire and I had to put a fire out on stage and it was on the musical into the woods. And um, so I walk into this uh, theater. I'm not going to say if it was university or high school or professional. I'm just going to say a theater theater. Um, Well, no, I should say it was a high school theater because I don't want people to think that a university or a professional theater would have let this kind of situation happen. So I walk onto the stage. I looked at the dimming system and then they're all proud about this big set and they should be proud of the big set. And they start explaining to me that they have this like um, platform that their welding class had made for them that was steel that set about a quarter inch off the floor and had a baffle on it, like another layer of metal above it one inch. And they would have like a fire on stage, like a log fire you have like when you're on a camp. And what they would do during the scene is they would have the fire going off in the scene shop. They would roll that into center stage with the main act curtain closed because there was acting going on downstage and there would be a blackout, and then the curtain would fly, you know, vertically, and you would see that fire on stage, and then they would slowly bring up the lights for the scene. It all sounds really neat. It sounds very, very cool, except there was one really big problem. To have a fire like that on stage, yeah, eh, that's kind of not probably the smartest thing, but hey, if you got proper ventilation and you got proper all of that, which of course they don't have in this kind of a school, unless they opened up their, their... your smoke hatches on the ceiling. And I asked them, do you open the smoke hatches? They're like, we don't even know how to open them. And then I look at that set and I'm like, this set's flame-proofed, right? And, and, you know, the teacher looked at me like, what's flame-proofing? And folks, I just get this weird, like, I don't know how to explain it. There were probably like 6,000 Kleenex boxes of tissue stuffed in all the little cracks on, like, the stone that they had painted into these beautiful little looking, like, um, moss and uh, vegetation growing up this, this, like, imitation sandstone or whatever you want to call it. It was kind of a castle type thing. And Then I said, well, where do you put this fire at? And folks, there was like an arch in the middle of the thing, and they had the fire right up against it. They had the fire literally within five feet of this set. Now, I'm sure a lot of people are going to say, well, yeah, but Damon, what are the chances that something could really just fly off that or a flame could hit that set? Folks, it's a log fire. Embers come off it you know, whatever they used to start it with, there could be a piece of newspaper that laid down inside there. And once that fire is going because of the, you know, the heat rising and it pulls a vacuum at the bottom of the fire, who knows what could go into the air. And he even told me that they have the fire going for a while on the scene shop so that all the sparks and embers quit coming out of it. So now how do I not be a complete ass and say, you guys are insane. And, folks, when I was younger, I mean, I still don't have many filters. And I said, you know, this set should really be flame-proofed with Roscoe FlameX. And I worked for a dealer that sold it. And um, he goes, well, how much is that? And, folks, I think it was like $30 a gallon back then. And uh, I said, you get a Hudson bug sprayer. Or, folks, if you don't know what a Hudson bug sprayer is, it's a bug sprayer like you spray spray. Um, a lot of people use it to kill weeds in your yard. You know, you put your weed killer in there and you put some water in there and then you pump it a hundred times and you go around and spray your yard. Well, we use these Hudson bug sprayers, or Hudson sprayers as they're called, um, to paint scenery, to put flame X on <laughs> stuff. It was a really neat airless spray paint system, this big bug sprayer or sprayer. And I told him how to apply it. And he goes, it's not going to mess up the set, is it? I said it might a little bit. It it might a little bit, but I said, this is so dangerous. I said, do you have a fire marshal? And he's like, yeah. I go, has the fire marshal saw this? And he goes, no. I said, I don't think the fire marshal would let let you have an open flame unless you could prove to them there's no flammable source near it. I go, all your costumes are flammable. And you could just see this guy like, you know, this is so important. And I'm like, you can do it with effects. And folks, I don't know if you remember, and I don't know if it was Lemaitre who did it, um, cause I remember I sold them, but they were the little flame special effects things and they were very expensive. Okay. Back then they were very expensive and I knew this cool, couldn't afford them. Um, and I called up my local rep and said, Hey, can I borrow one of those flame things just to see what it looks like? And folks, we ended up, uh, first of all, the set should have still been flame Okay. Without a doubt but I talked them into using one of these little flame things with a bunch of fake logs built around it and not even have a fire on stage. Now I know it crushed the people in the welding class that had built that really neat thing to put the fire on. But folks, sometimes we just don't know what we're doing and how dangerous it is. And And folks, look, I know that people sometimes say that I'm dramatic and, you know, I'm worrisome. But look, I've skydived in my life. I know what it means to make sure your equipment is 100%. You know, I learned to fly aerobatics in in full-scale airplanes. And I know if you have listened, you know I'm into model airplanes. But none of us are out to get killed. I mean, if we're thrill seekers, that's one thing. But you don't want to be a thrill seeker and building something on a stage that's going to have 50 kids or you know, a chorus singing um, and have you know maybe 1,200 people in the audience where you have the potential um, to start a fire so um, or burn the building down. So, you know, I went ahead and inspected their dimming system and, you know, there were some of those firing cards that were bad and I, I got the dimming system working fine. Um, and that's what I was there for. But, you know, another thing that I always so got mad with myself was a couple of years later, I was telling a friend about this and he goes, well, you know, had the fire curtain been inspected and, you know, folks that sometimes that's probably one of the first things I probably should have checked when I knew they had a fire on stage was, Hey, is your fire curtain operating good? (laughs) Um, but okay. That's one story, folks. And I don't want this podcast to go on forever. So the most dangerous thing I ever saw was that open fire on a stage. I might have mentioned that a little bit earlier in another podcast. I apologize if I don't remember it. Uh, I'm going to talk about next the uh, rigging system uh, inspection I did. And, folks, I did a lot in my life, and they were cash cows. When you do rigging inspections for free, you find so many things wrong in theaters, both from lighting and rigging and other things. And, you know, if you're a theater person and you can tell them about new lighting fixtures and new smoke machines and all that crap. Rigging inspections was a gateway drug into finding opportunities. Okay, so I I don't I remember this inspection very well, but I don't remember how it got set up. I don't know if they called the office or I just remember um, telling them I was going to need a genie lift and I was going to need uh, about four hours in that room. Now they had sent me it was only you know twenty eight line sets of counterweight and all this stuff. They did have a fire curtain. Okay, And I don't know if the codes change, folks, but there's a lot of pre-1981 um, theaters that had fire curtains that the steel was below 50 feet above the stage. And if you don't know, folks, if from the floor to the ceiling is over 50 feet, you have to have a fire curtain in the United States under um, the International Building Codes IBC. And I'm not going to get into that in this this conversation. Okay. Um, but if it's under that, you didn't need one. But I inspected tons of theater in Indiana, uh, Ohio, and uh, Northern Kentucky, and it should be Western Ohio. I never went as far over as Columbus when I was inspecting these high schools. And um, <laughs> so I, um, you know, I, I I walk into this theater, and uh, one of the things I always did first, folks was just look at how clean the room was. And I know I've mentioned this a ton in my other podcast, but if it's a really clean theater, I always felt like, okay, there's a chance that, you know, this is in pretty good shape. And this theater was pristine. It was so clean. It was insane. And in the scene shop, I noticed they had like this army of dust mops hanging on the wall, which really made me smile and kind of laugh. Those big four foot wide dust mops folks are the greatest invention in the world. When you have a stage. Okay. It really is. So I, uh, I walk around the entire theater and, uh, and actually, if I remember right, there's a student, they said uh, basically had to hang out with me uh, when I was in the theater. They didn't want me to be there by myself. Maybe they thought I was going to steal all of their paint. I don't know. Um, But when I started to do the rigging inspection, the first thing I do is I run every line set up and down and I'm not going to go through the whole inspection here. Okay, folks, but I run every line set to hear if I see if I hear anything. Because most rigging, if there's a problem, you're either going to feel it, you're either going to hear it, or you're either going to see it, okay? But hearing it, for me, is one of the really important things. And I always brought binoculars. I always brought an extra ellipsoidal light, so I could aim it into the ceiling. I brought a 100-foot extension cord. Uh, I'd bring some different adapters, you know, I mean, um, standard uh, uh, wall plug-in type of adapters, two two P&G adapters, so I could get power or whatever, and um, on this rigging system, folks, I was probably 90% done. And I took my lip swaddle, aimed it up, and I see a fire curtain. And it actually says in big, huge, tin block letters, fire curtain. <laughs> oh, and right below it says asbestos. And then I thought, well, wait, wait a minute, how did I miss... The dash pot and the release mechanism and everything else. So I go stage right. There's nothing. I go stage left. There's nothing. And I'm like, "Wow, is this one of those new uh, fangled fire curtains made by Ktel, or uh, <laughs> uh, you know, the guy who did the pocket fisherman?" I mean, I'm I'm just completely baffled. I'm thinking, folks, honestly. I never thought anybody would be so stupid to take down all of the fire curtain rigging but leave the fire curtain up there because it had quit working. I never even imagined that. So I go back to stage left and then when I'm on stage right, I notice there's a a square in the wall where something had been like a placard. And I look at the floor and I see four big holes and I'm like, holy crap, Batman. That's where the dash pot was mounted. So I aim my my um, ellipsoidal back up in the ceiling and I'm like, okay, I got to get on the genie lift. And I ride the genie lift up and up at the ceiling was the mechanism that sat above a lattice track that had been taken down. Which is the counterweight overweight for the fire curtain, folks, that keeps the fire curtain kind of almost in balance. But then there's a big heavy bar that comes down and hits it to get it moving that will bring it all the way down. So the only thing left in this room was a fire curtain, the overweight bar, and about 100 foot, a hundred foot of log chain that chained the fire curtain to the ceiling. That's all that was on this proscenium wall. And I never forget, folks, on genie lifts that are hydraulic. You know, you go up and you hear that, eh, but when you come down, you just hear like Shh. <laughs> And I'm coming down, and the kid's looking at me. And he's like, is everything okay? And I said, no, you guys got a big problem. I said, um, I need to go over to the office. So I walk over to the office and said, hey, my name is Damon. I'm with STTV and AV, and I'm inspecting the theater rigging system. And I need to talk to somebody who's kind of like, I don't know, building maintenance, the superintendent. And the lady goes, oh, my. I go, yeah, you've, you've got a little bit of a problem in the theater. And... Um, I, I need to be able to, to, to talk you through it. And um, I kind of stirred a rat's nest. I didn't realize it. So she kind of panics. And she calls over the superintendent's building and said, there's a guy inspecting our theater and says there's a big problem in here. So I end up with the superintendent, the principal, the head of uh, custodial maintenance and all these people. And I walk them to the theater. I explain to them. And the superintendent says, so wait a minute, if there's a fire on our stage, this big thing's supposed to come down, right? I go, yeah. And he goes, so we have a fire. What brings it down now? I go, nothing. And none of the system exists up there to let it come down. And he looked at me, he goes, well, where'd it go? I said, I don't know. Somebody took it out. And the custodian who, I mean, this with all respect, looked like he was probably went to school with Abraham Lincoln, um, said no, I remember that. I remember that this this thing came down and it caused a a big problem and they took it back up and when we redid the theater, they took all of that out because you know we were going to you know put in the new dimming system and then it hit me, oh my God, I bet they got conduit in the way. you know what are they going to do now if there's conduit in the way of where the fire curtain activation system was? <laughs> I'm not kidding you folks. So I get I go into a classroom and there's chalk on you know a chalkboard no dry erase I draw them exactly how a fire curtain system works the dash pot the lattice track all of this junk and he's like um, how fast can we bring this up up to code and I said look I don't know I said I am going to have to really dive deep into this and figure out what's the best way to do this because I said there are different release mechanisms. Now there's more modern systems. Um, there's actually, um, uh, there's a, a winch that's used for like, um, uh, oh, I can't remember what it's called folks. What's wrong with me when I'm talking about the, uh, braille, there's, there's a braille fire curtain, uh, uh release system. I said, you know, it has a hydraulic governor in it. So um, I, I need to do a little bit of investigating, but preferably you have an arbor on this. And then you have that overweight bar that will bring it down and a dash pot that will slow it down. But, you know, most of the time you want something so you can raise and lower this fire curtain. I said, you know, just in case you need to bring it down, let's say you're doing something on the stage and you don't want all the dust out in the seat, you can bring your fire curtain down. Uh, Make a long story short, folks, I got with uh, my buddy, Chuck, at H&H. We figured it all out. Uh, Three or four weeks later, I put in all this crap they needed, and their fire curtain was up and running again. Um, But that was the craziest rigging inspection I ever went on, where they had completely disabled a fire curtain and chained it to the ceiling. Okay, now, dimming inspection. Um, You know, folks, there was a, 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 and I've mentioned these kind of before but the one that that jumps out the most to me is where I literally spent I don't know 16 hours not not I mean two separate visits Um, for some reason folks I think this was a Friday and a Saturday and they had um, they needed the third the theater on a Monday Tuesday and Wednesday for something And I remember going to this school, and and I knew these old decor and century and major theatrical systems really, really well. And maybe I was being a little cocky and being a little bit conceited, but I'd never found one I couldn't fix. Okay, I just had never found one I couldn't fix. And this was insane. And, And to this date, I still, I'm not over it. Um, So they tell me that basically some of their lights work and some of their lights don't work. So I go through my standard, what I had learned to do. I check all the firing cards. I check all the fuses. I start looking at all these different things and it's kind of a checklist. And back then I didn't have a physical checklist, but it was a mental checklist. And after a couple of hours, I just couldn't get these certain lights to work. And for some reason, I didn't obsess, and I should have obsessed, uh, on on these old analog systems, there was basically one wire for every channel that's coming down from the lighting console, okay? So you got a lighting console. Back then, they had these little patch sliding things on top of the lighting console that wherever you slid this little thing up and down, it would patch that circuit with the dimmer on it into that channel. So if you had 20 channels... You could slide one through 96 dimmers up and down. Like if you took number one and slid it to number 10, it would be on fader 10 on your lighting console. Okay. So, what was really weird was like, and folks, I don't know why this didn't, you know, uh, you can still tell, you know, 34 years later or whatever it was, it still drives me nuts. So, I ended up patching everything into like channel one. And I would run them up and down, and these lights weren't working. I'd patch them into channel two, and they wouldn't work. And I'm like, okay. So I thought it was in the dimmer rack. And if you've ever seen the movie uh, Gumball Rally, there's this one car that breaks down. And during the entire movie, they're taking the whole car apart, trying to figure out what's wrong with it. And at the end of the movie, when everybody's won the race, these guys are still sitting in this garage with their car taken apart because they can't get it to work. That's the way I felt on this dimming system. After eight hours, I had the entire dimming rack taken apart, more than I'd ever taken a dimming rack apart. I had my realistic, which Radio Shack made it, voltmeter. And I was starving because I hadn't had any lunch. And finally, the theater guy came in and he said, you're not having any luck, right? I said, no. I said, this one's really, really got me going and I'm starving. I'm going to come back tomorrow. Is that okay? And I do remember it was a Friday because Saturday, he goes, yeah, there's custodians here just Give them my name, tell them, and I'll let them know you're going to be in here. I said, Well, look, I've got the system put back together. You got at least some lights working, but I'll come back uh, tomorrow. So that night, I'll never forget, folks. I, I just didn't sleep. I'm like, What the hell is going on? And, folks, I always doubted myself. I wasn't college trained. I wasn't theatrical trained. I wasn't really an electrician. You know, I was a Heath Kit kid. So had I gotten myself into a system, that I couldn't fix I was gonna to have to hire somebody who is more qualified or smarter than me or better than me or somebody who went to college for this stuff you know there's always been that level even today where I doubt myself a little bit because I always think there's gonna be somebody better than me okay um or they got college and they're looked up on on this pedestal oh well he's got a master's in basket weaving and uh you know baggatory, or what do we want to call it I, I, you know, those for some reason, folks, I still have insecurities about that. So um, I go back the next day and I just sit there in, you know, those chairs you got in classrooms that pull up the tables, the, the ones that look like they're fiberglass uh, and they're all different colors. So I got one of those chairs. I'm sitting in front of the dimmer rack and I'm just staring at it and I'm like, okay, you bastard, you know, what is going on? You need to tell me what's going on. Okay. I'm the doctor. You're the patient. You're sick. (laughs) And I am folks, I'm talking to a effing dimming rat and I'm like, okay, Damon, you got to start all over. You got to start all over. You got to think about what is the first thing in the system. The first thing is the power to the lighting console. So I go back there. The transformers are fine. Watch the next thing, the faders. Faders are all good. I actually change, swap faders around on this board. You can pull the fader out and stick them around. I'm moving the faders around. Get the same thing. But I had never, ever thought about that patch bay. The little buttons that you slide up and down to patch. Okay? And for some reason at that moment, I didn't think about it either. <laughs> so I'm looking at this console, and right in front of me, you have faders, faders, Inside it, you got transformers, but at the top of it is that patch bay. And I just thought, well, you know, I've never seen one of those go bad, so I walk back down to the dimming rack. And I sit in front of the dimming rack in that little fiberglass yellow chair or whatever color it was, and a custodian walks in. And he goes, how you doing? I go, good. And he goes, you're here to fix this? And I go, yeah, but I'm not. I'm failing you miserably. Me and this guy talked for probably 10 or 15 minutes about electricity. And I told him I've checked the firing cards. I've checked the back rack of the firing cards. I've checked the fuses. And I even checked the way the fuses are soldered to the backboard. I said, I am dumbfounded, But I said, the more I'm starting to think about this, I think it's in that console. I think it's in the the dimming board because I know this rack is 100%. Oh, and another thing, folks, I started hot wiring channels at the rack to get lights to come on and I got lights to come on that I'd never gotten to come on so now I'm thinking well wait a minute it's got to be at the console right so I go back to the console I open it up I take almost everything apart I check every solder lead in folks you got to be careful when you check solder leads because if you're going to put voltage through like a printed circuit board you don't want to burn up a capacitor or a uh you, you know a resistor or Uh, You don't want a a diode or whatever. So I had my realistic, uh, which made by Radio Shack, of course, my voltmeter and a one and a half volt battery. And I'm sitting there and I'm checking different places, putting voltage into it to see if there's a solder, a bad solder. That takes hours to do. So finally, I don't know, it's probably like three o'clock in the afternoon. And like a dumbass, I didn't bring me any lunch. I'm starving again. Um, I probably had like two or three bowls of cocoa pebbles or cocoa puffs or whatever. I love that crap back then in the morning. Um, And I'm looking at that console and I slide everything up to one. And then I start realizing, wait a minute, Damon, it's like dimmers eight, nine, 25, something that aren't working. They're not like symmetrical or they're not like in a divisions of certain numbers. And that's the reason I never thought of checking that patch thing, folks. So I un—I start to unscrew. And actually, if you take the screws off the top of the board, the whole patch thing will fall down into the console. So I loosen the screws up. I lift the board up. I've got a little like one by 4 holding the board open. And I take that off and I look at the bottom of it. And there's those connectors, those white connectors you can take off and you can hold the entire patch bay in your hand. Okay. And as I'm holding this patch bay in my hand, I realized it's sticky and I'm like, what the hell? And I look at the top, the top's completely crystal clear. I look at the bottom and there's like a glue on it. And then it hit me, wait a minute, somebody dumped something in this board. And then folks right in front of me is a little bitty, I don't know if it's like a 24 gauge wire unshield. I mean, there's no, um, uh, uh, insulation on it. Okay. There it's just a bare wire that is broken and it's right where the slot is, where the slider slides up and down. And I'm wondering, did somebody pour like a Mountain Dew in this board and then cleaned it with a rag and like a screwdriver? We're trying to clean out the grooves of the screwdriver. <laughs> and folks, I kid you not, I get my soldering gun out and I pull the two little pieces of wire together, and I put a dot of solder on it. I plug in the two connectors. I turn on the lighting console, and every freaking light comes on. Every freaking light. And folks, I should have been happy, but I was so mad at myself. I was so mad that I didn't dive into that console first. And believe me, I learned at that point on, I always make sure the console's 100% before I start going off thinking the usual suspects, which used to be always those firing cards. So that is the craziest I've ever kind of felt doing a dimming inspection. Um, and really, that wasn't so much an inspection, folks. That's more of a service call. So hopefully the kid who emailed me, that's good enough story for you, okay? Now, what is the craziest... Um, Not the most dangerous, but the craziest thing I ever saw. Um, (laughs) And I'm not, again, I'm not putting people down, folks, when I say this, okay? And I've told you before that I've seen turntables that have been frozen in place because people had, um, uh, you know, essentially not used them so long in dirt and grit. And every time they would wax the floor, clean the floor, crap would go down in that crack and turn to concrete. Well, I got a phone call once and a guy says, hey, do you service turntables in stages? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, well, this is a portable turntable. I said, okay. And he goes, we put it together in like pie sections, but the motor and nothing will work. <clears throat> I said, okay. And um, <laughs> and folks, I go out to the school and they've got it all assembled in their scene shop. And I say to them, how do you get this on stage? He goes, I know this is a bitch. He goes, We actually have to take this thing into two halves during a scene change. We go out there, we assemble it. And I go, How do you do that in less than like three minutes? He goes, It takes about a minute. He goes, Normally we like to do it during intermission. But he goes, in this particular show, we're gonna have to do it during a scene change. So we're gonna have stuff going on downstage, but we need to get this out there bolted together and then it turn. And I'm like, is it you want me to help you to make it so you can take it apart quicker or make it work? He goes, oh, no, we got to make it work first. And I'm sitting here thinking, folks, the the way this thing, and look, it was pretty innovative the way they built this. I mean, basically, you just needed a ratchet. And they had these little doors on three quarter inch plywood on the top of it. You could pop the doors up and you could bolt this whole thing together. Um, but you had to get it really aligned. And I told him, I said, you know, you should have some little pins sticking out, male and female pins, so this thing will align, and he's like, well, could you help us make that, and I'm like, well, sure, you know, I'm a theater guy, I love to do this kind of crap, so I took three eight inch bolts and uh, grinded it down with a uh, hand grinder into these little sharp pins, and then I thought, ooh, I might not want those sharp pins of a kid come along with their ankles, so we made them round it off, okay, but here's what was the craziest thing about this turntable, and this stumped me forever, folks, I could not figure out what was going on, We get it all hooked up. We throw the switch and this thing turned almost like it was a turntable for your record. It turned so fast and you could hear it screaming. And he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. And I stopped and he goes, it's never gone that fast ever. And I'm like, okay, well, I didn't do anything except wire it up. So we flipped the switch again and folks, this thing literally turned probably, I don't know, um, one revolution every, I don't know, 10 seconds, 15 seconds. It was hauling ass. And we turned it off. He goes, it's never done that. I said, well, I hope not. I don't know if anybody could stand on that. And we actually did run it and try to stand on it. And it was really hard. It was actually cool, folks, because you could lean in <laughs> while it turned. And he's like, well, we can't use this. I go, well, wait a minute. How fast did it used to turn? He goes, it turned pretty slow. So I'm sitting there thinking... Well, what the hell? So I'm looking at all these pulleys. There's like six different pulleys um, that you could put in different combinations. And like a dumbass, you know, I'm I'm screwing with all of that for like two hours. And finally, I called up one of my friends who knew these motors really well. And I said, look, are, are there such thing as two speed motors that are like 220 volt? He goes, yeah, depending on the way they're wired, you, you, you can actually... Um, yeah, there, there's a two-stage motor. It should have like a big capacitor on it. I go, yeah, it does have a capacitor on it. He goes, what's it for? I said, a turntable. And he said, well, Damon, it's probably wired wrong. That capacitor there is to get it moving. And then it would, you know, basically change the voltage once it's going. So that 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 basically that, that capacitor is there for the end result of voltage that that motor needs to start turning. I said, this thing is turning like a Formula One engine. He goes, it's it's wired wrong. And I'm like, well, what what are we doing wrong? And he goes, I have no idea what you're doing wrong. And so um, he starts talking me through the motor. And folks, I look at the side of the motor, and the motor is a 110 volt motor. And I said to my buddy, What well, what if we put 220 through it? He goes, You'll burn it up. And I go, Would it even run? He goes, It might run. And <laughs> so, folks. Everything was hooked up on this motor wrong. It was wired so wrong, but it was the funniest thing in the world to get me and two or three students and this teacher on this thing when it was turning really fast so we could all lean in a little bit. It was hilarious. Um, but that—that that is probably one of the craziest things I saw um, in my life that just cracked me up. And um, we got to run the right speed, just so you know, folks. Um, and we didn't burn up the motor. But that's it, folks, with this podcast. I just wanted to answer those four questions that that kid sent me. And um, hopefully he gets a kick out of this because, look, folks, I know this podcast is going way too long um, and I can't help those. But there is no greater feeling in the world, none, than to feel like you're a part of something bigger than yourself. There is no feeling in the world that's greater than making other people successful. You know, um, there's no feeling better than to, uh, have people you know, just randomly hug you. You know, when I think about how many times I've fixed things in theater and, you know, this is before COVID and we're afraid of being politically incorrect. And, uh, and I'm not ashamed to say that, you know, there was some really, really, really hot, uh, uh, the theater director teachers that would just give me hugs. And, you know, I was, you know, what, 28? And I'm like, hell, this is awesome. Um, folks, there is, you know, there is nothing more cool than this industry. Okay. Um, the only people I think who have as much fun is musicians and people who are artists. And um, I'm working on a podcast to talk about some of my, a friend of mine who was a drummer. His name is Tim. And it seemed like drummers always had the money because they had to afford their kit. But a lot of times bands were formed by drummers, at least from when I was a kid. And I built a lot of speakers for these people. And I think I'm going to do a podcast about that, which is really not that theatrical, but it's a part of my life that was really fun. (laughs) But, uh, you know, folks, because of theater, I did so many cool things uh, in my life that, if you're a college student and you really love theater and you're really trying to think um, that you really want to, you know, just take that leap, um, don't be afraid of getting bored. I mean, if you're a stage manager or a lighting designer or a master electrician or any of that stuff on stage, if one day you woke up and said, gosh, there, is, is there more to this? Man, I, when it comes to sales and working for dealers and reps and traveling, and inventing and being a theater consultant. And when you think of all those other careers out there, I think you're a fool not to go in the theater. <laughs> oh, but like, I got to shut this down. I mean, folks, it's almost, and like, I know, I, look, I'm going to be politically incorrect for a minute. Okay. And I know this might get me in trouble. Okay. Um, But, but <laughs> I got to think of how to say this. Um, There are going to be people that could stand and look at a parking lot. One see a pickup truck, one see a Ferrari, one see a SUV, somebody see a school bus, and somebody see a panel truck. And all of us are going to have different ways that we look at that and we think about it, the way our brains are wired. When I was 20, 21, I would have loved that Ferrari, would have loved that Ferrari. Oh, my God. Could you imagine the chick magnet car that is? Then when I got into my late 20s, that pickup truck is what I wanted. Then when I had a family, that SUV is what I want. You know what I want today? A panel truck. <laughs> I want an 18-foot-long panel truck so I can carry all the crap I've got to wherever I got to take it. Okay. So folks, we change in life and it's normal that we change. Okay. That is just part of us, I guess, maturing. You know, I'm not, I shouldn't say maturing because I never grew up, but I don't want you to think that anybody's got to force you into who you're going to be because you're ever going to change. And in this industry, you can keep changing and still have fun. And also there's a lot of love in this industry. Like I've always said, it's all relationship based. You know, people who come into this industry and think that it's not relationship based always fail. They always fail. And this is about a billion-dollar industry, folks. When you look at lighting, rigging, well, it's probably more than that. If you include all the like Taylor Swift touring stuff and all of that, this industry is huge. And there'll always be something out there for you. So, rock on, everybody. I'm going to shut this down. My God, I went over 40 minutes. That's insane. I don't like podcasts this long. Um, So, look, rock on. Keep the emails coming because, folks, I literally have 20 emails I want to do podcast on right now. And I'm I'm just getting smothered with content I can do, which is awesome. But I am going to change the entire world you watch. I'm working on some really top secret stuff with some of the the smartest and best people in the world right now. And I am going to change the world. And uh, stay tuned. Rock on, everybody. Have a great day. Be safe. Support the arts. If your mom and dad don't like the theater, hey, They're replaceable, okay? You can find your family in the theater. You can find a new mom and dad, brother and sister. Everybody's waiting for you in the theater, okay? So rock on. Have a great day, uh, everybody. And be safe and be awesome, okay? Oh, one last thing. Do you know why everybody loves Burger King? At the end of every commercial, it goes, you rule. I want you to think about that. Every time you see a Burger King commercial, You rule, and you do rule, folks. Everybody listening to this is absolutely kick-ass. Rock on. Have a great day, folks, and be safe. Bye-bye.